welcome to Made in India SLP podcast with your host Kinari and Rabab. Our topic today is voice therapy for professional voice users. Our guest today is one of the renowned figures in the audiology, speech language pathology community as well as the singing community. He has done such an impressive work in the field of voice that Rabab and I cannot wait to introduce him. Dr. Prakash Bhuminathan is currently a professor and head at the Department of Speech Language and Hearing Sciences at Sri Ramchandra Institute of Higher Education and Research that is in Chennai, India. He also serves as a senior consultant, speech language pathologist and audiologist at Sri Ramchandra Medical Center, University Hospital, Chennai. He received his PhD with a specialty area of vocal dynamics of the singing voice from SRMC Chennai. In the year 2005, he received the prestigious Fulbright Research Fellowship where he visited various voice centers in the United States. He is an adjunct faculty at the University of Toronto, Canada. Dr. Bhuminathan's area of clinical focus and research are fluency and voice with an emphasis on professional voice care. He has been closely involved in the establishment of the voice clinic at SRMC Chennai. He has published numerous scientific papers, a few book chapters, two videos, participated in over 80 presentations, been a part of training programs and conferences, and published 61 papers in peer-reviewed national and international journals. He has also conducted four international and 14 national workshops on professional voice care. If I'm completely honest, Dr. Bhuminathan has done such great work that I could spend this entire podcast discussing his significant achievements. We are compelled to keep it short, and we truly apologize about that. Sir, what an honor to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much, Rebab and Kennedy. Uh, I feel extremely happy to be part of this Made in India activity, which is very impressive. Uh, the very thought of it that you want to connect back with the Indian community and there at the West is amazing. All the very best. I'm very happy to be today with you. Thank you, sir. To begin with Dr. Bhuminathan, I want to congratulate you on your paper, Expanding Frontiers in Voice Health and Care, Applications for India. It's been such a great read. So before we even dive deep in the topic of the day, can we just take a few minutes to discuss what really means when we use the word vocology? And also in the paper, you've encouraged uh, clinicians to shift from a traditional repair and restore philosophy to more enable and equip methodology. Can we just expand a little bit on that as well? Oh, lovely. Okay. So first, I want to thank you for reading that paper. I mean, it was a perspective article which I wrote for uh, the All India Institute of Speech and Hearing. My alumnus, I mean, I'm an alumnus from there, my alma mater there. Uh, I did my undergrad and postgrad uh, from All India Institute of Speech and Hearing. Um, so when there was a, a request to contribute on an, uh, you know, as a, a paper to think for the future, I was very happy and I thought uh, this would inspire many young minds to look at voice from a different angle. 
and I'm glad that you did uh, read it and you found it interesting. Okay, uh, to your question about vocology, um, vocology is a term which was uh, introduced in the 90s by Ingo Tietze uh, and became popular since the 2000, I would think. In fact, there have been books on vocology and one of the fundamental book uh, written by Tietze himself along with uh, Kitty Wadolini is about vocology. And um, it's been, uh, incidentally, that has been a course book this time uh, by the RCI prescribed syllabus uh, for post-graduation uh, in India. Um, so what is vocology? To me, vocology is uh, applying voice science practically. So when you are able to apply the concepts of voice science uh, in a practical sense, it means vocology. So vocology may include all aspects related to speaking and singing. And uh, so it is to do with the vocometrics, the, the, the tools you have and the measurement uh, methods and the metrics you have to analyze voice. And based on the analysis, you habilitate. Uh, and uh, vocology talks about habilitation and, and not the rehabilitation. Now, what is habilitation? Habilitation is actually building capacity. So it is capacitating a person's uh, physical and physiological uh, abilities to a functional need, uh, looking at the strength of the performing organ, uh, building on the strength and meeting specific needs of a person that could be for uh, either uh, occupation or personal need or recreation. So all of these would be part of uh, vocology. And your question of uh, uh, what do you mean by this repair and restore, the old philosophy to enable and equip uh, is, is the true essence of vocology. Now, repair and restore is uh, the idea is you're working with a system with some problems. Uh, and uh, which may be at the physical level or functional level or a combination of both of these. And uh, restoring is uh, basically you're trying to regain the lost skill, uh, which is actually untrue. Uh, nobody loses the skill. We probably lose a capacity of performing the skill in a particular level. So, so, uh, so vocology uh, builds on what is existing now and analyzes the compensations. You know, it looks at uh, what changes has happened uh, and what changes have evolved because of the, the personal uh, makeup of the person. It could be the physical structures, it could be the mental capacity, his attitude, uh, personality, to what is being demanded of him from the society. It could be his job, it could be family, friends, uh, or certain professional needs as well. So all of these uh, will be basically trying to uh, not work on something which is uh, damaged. The idea is not thinking about the damage, but is to think about what is happening currently as a work activity. So you're looking at the uh, working system and trying to build on from there. And that is what is the current way to so so uh, to give you a gross example i think uh, there is no more uh, need for voice rest so why so there is no stopping to work it is 
training on the work. So that is the basic idea. So you do not, even if a teacher comes who has a very gross voice problem, you do not ask them to stop talking for some time, but actually on the job you work on building the voice. So that is the essence of uh, vocology, I think. I am going to say that you took me by surprise there when you said that voice rest is something that we are not, is that something we're not recommending when somebody with a voice disorder comes to see us as speech language pathologists? Personally, I would think if a person is seeking an advice how to speak, providing him an uh, advice that you keep quiet is, uh, is awful advice. <laughs> it's not a great thing to do. Uh, we are all specialists to train the speaking and voice. And uh, we are recommending them uh, keep quiet, shut up, don't speak anymore. Uh, mm. Why would they need us? <laughs> so, so it is not necessarily a, a, a very good way to look at uh, how to treat voice problems. While uh, this is for the most part of voice disorders, but if, if there is an acute injury, voice rest is given as a treatment. Now, acute injuries could be like in um, vocal trauma, which happened just a, an hour ago or a, a day back. Uh, so if there is an acute injury because of phonotrauma, sometimes rest work. And that is not a complete rest, but it is actually refraining from doing um, several injurious vocal behaviors, phonotraumatic behaviors. Um, acute injuries can also result after uh, vocal, vocal cord surgeries. If there's been a surgery in the voice box, uh, rest is absolutely required. So when you see a bleeding cord, rest is required. So I'm not saying that no rest, but rest is not the first option unless it is indicated in the case of an acute injury. Otherwise, for all other voice problems, I think we need to be on the job. We need to tell them how to use the voice and not allow them to settle to keeping quiet. That doesn't really work. I actually like how you mentioned that you aren't really losing the skill. You're just losing the capacity to function. So it is performing the function to an expected level mm -hmm. or oh, okay. your earlier set uh, ideals of performance. So it is not complete loss of function, but there is a deterioration absolutely. Okay, thank you for that explanation, Dr. Bhuminathan. In the last few years, the concept of vocal health has gained so much popularity. Uh, vocal health is so vital in order to produce voice and communication for many professional purposes. So professional voice users such as teachers, singers, actors, lawyers, or speech language pathologists are at greater risk of developing voice disorder. So what is your expert opinion on the concept of vocal health? Okay, again, lovely question. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I mean, I, I've been uh, talking about vocal health for singers, teachers, and in general about vocal health and not really about voice disorders. Uh, so so it, it is a concept which I think um, health is a more a holistic entity. It, it is not very uh, pertaining to a particular uh, uh, activity necessarily. So, so for me, uh, generally being in good health or good vocal health is uh, a feeling of happiness. It's a mm -hmm. feel good factor. 
uh, when you engage in conversing with somebody or you are teaching or you're singing, you're doing any vocal activity, after you finish or while you're doing the activity, how good do you feel? If you feel happy, you're in good health. And if you're not feeling good, if, the, if you feel that, you know, there's something missing there. I mean, I don't feel like, uh, you know, uh, I do not want to do the same time, same thing again. So something mm -hmm. missing there that, that probably indicates that there's something wrong and that maybe uh, related to poor vocal health. And vocal health also means uh, using the capacity to the maximum possible, you know, without tiring yourself and with great control. So, so when the voice has great expression uh, and a great control of expression, how do you know how to execute the voice? That shows vocal health. If somebody is in good health, good vocal health, then they know how to use the voice with control, finesse, and beauty. So that is, again, vocal health. I also think vocal health may relate to uh, longevity of the voice, sustaining the voice uh, attribute for several years, despite using it the way you think you are using, you know, um, mm -hmm. for any professional need, uh, singers, constantly use teachers, use their voice day in and day out in really difficult situations. Despite that, despite these uses, uh, different ways of using the voice, if the person is able to sustain the voice timbre and the voice uh, attributes and the happiness when they speak for several years or longevity, that's what I'm saying. That again um, talks about uh, uh, vocal health. Uh, so to me, I think voice health is satisfaction when you, when you speak uh, after you have spoken or after you've uh, sung or after you've done any vocal activity, when you feel satisfied and happy about it, and you're looking forward to do this again, which it means you're in good vocal health. If a person is able to produce an ideal voice, or if not an ideal, at least a functionally superior voice which suits a person's anatomy personality the occupational requirements and the activity the person is engaged in then i would think that represents a healthy voice i really like the way you explain that just so i have this clear would you say that if i go give a speech or maybe a lecture and i'm very fatigued after that would that be a sign of poor vocal health? Absolutely. And fatigue is a, a primary complaint of all voice problems. Mm -hmm. and, and voice fatigue uh, is, is such a complex behavior, you know, and, and it's, so, uh, it's so important to quantify fatigue in, in a way it's possible. And it's a subjective feeling and the tolerance for fatigue is very different. Researchers world over have been trying to uh, evolve uh, sensitive metrics to quantify or describe fatigue. The recent one is a vocal fatigue index, which is a subjective tool available to describe fatigue. And in fact, we have uh, Indian versions of it now. We have one in Tamil, which uh, we have developed in our labs here. Uh, we have in Malayalam, there is something in Kannada, happening and uh, 
voice fatigue index um, is a popular tool just gaining a lot of importance in quantifying fatigue and one of my papers which we published where we talked about uh, one of the first published work where we tried to describe or characterize the carnatic singing voice and, and the problems in carnatic singing population we found fatigue as one of the primary symptoms and a very early symptom of an evolving voice problem. Fatigue is a sign of an evolving voice problem. I personally suffer from vocal fatigue, especially when I do back-to-back therapies. And I can visibly see that I need to just stop talking and take a few minutes and breaks in between. So (laughs) I definitely need to do some voice therapy for myself. I'm sure many speech pathologists, uh, you know, we, we, we all happy providing therapy, but uh, we don't realize whether uh, our systems are happy doing those as well. <laughs> so right. it may be a good idea to uh, equip the system. So hydration and uh, some vocal activity and exercises to strengthen the vocal muscles. They're after all muscles. And these muscles need to be built up for a particular activity. I'm sure you will find ways to get out of the fatigue. It's a very common thing that can happen to an SLP also. (laughs) (laughs) You have a great deal of experience working with the singers and you just mentioned, especially in the Carnatic music industry. And you have also created a voice package. So what does a typical voice therapy session look like for a professional voice user who presents with say inability to maintain or attain a certain pitch? Of course, I'm keeping in mind that every voice is unique. And so every person needs a customized program. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, So if you have a particular question about how do we work with pitch, pitch issues in singing is very common. And I think I'm glad you picked up the most common uh, symptom, which they oftentimes think come with. That's a problem which uh, people present with. Again, the concept of pitch is very uh, important to be understood the right way when you start working with the singing community especially. Oftentimes, we need to clarify the idea of what the singer is telling. Is he having a difficulty staying in tune to a pitch or is he having difficulty in producing a particular tone or a note? Or is it transiting from one note to another? Or transitions of registers? When he is traveling from, say, a mid-octave to an upper octave, uh, so the mid-subtuck to an parasubtuck, where is the issue? So it is important to clarify these. The first thing is I will engage in a discussion with them to clarify these concepts and sort of understand where is the problem actually. So once you know where the problem is, your techniques or your methods to solve this might vary slightly. So, but general concept when we work about any of these, which I mentioned, I will work from a muscle engagement way. You know, pitch is predominantly a muscle factor. So if the singer knows how to manipulate the muscle and how to keep the tension or modify tensions of the muscle, then the pitch issues are usually forgotten. And But when you are working with muscle, there is an influence of breathing and resonance as well. If you are able to 
streamline the way the person breathes and engages the muscle and focuses the voice, then many of these pitch issues will disappear. So my first thing, as I told you, I'll uh, discuss and understand where the problem is. And second, okay. uh, we will evolve the differences in the systems you know, and, and make him understand when there is changes in the flow, the, the way the person is breathing and how that has an impact on the pitch, whatever he's communicating. And then I work on muscle, basically, uh, you know, laryngeal muscles and the perilaryngeal muscles and show the contrast and say, experience the changes in pitch. Then we combine these breathing and the muscle and then look at where is the sound realized now? Where is the sound placed in the vocal tract? Where is it placed in the face? Where is it uh, occurring? Where is it coming out from? So that becomes the resonance pocket or the focus there. And how does he feel when he does all these three different things? Based on this um, discovery process, we will identify the way to solve the problem. That's how I go about it. As speech pathologists, we should not look at pitch as a separate entity. So there isn't something which will fix the pitch alone because pitch in, is in synchronous with other components of voice. So, so it right. is a holistic way to look at the system and its mm -hmm. function. That makes absolute sense that look at the voice as a whole instead of every single component of it. Dr. Bhuvinathan, voice conservation is another topic that I think we should focus on. It plays such a significant role in maintaining one's vocal health. Can you share your clinical recommendations for vocal care with our listeners? And especially as speech language pathologists, how do we advocate more and, you know, in a better way for a professional voice user's vocal health? Hmm. Again, uh, so voice conservation is a better term um, than then generally uh, as a vocal hygiene and things. Mm -hmm. Voice conservation will have components of vocal hygiene as well. So w when uh, we talk about voice conservation, um, I think uh, the speech pathologist should look at uh, three different dimensions, basically. They have to look at the mind, body, and the environment. Uh, so the mind is the producer's mind, the singer or the teacher or who, whoever is producing. So what is happening in the mind? Okay. And the body is the systems that produce the uh, sound. And the environment is the place where the sound is being produced. And it includes the listener also, the response of the listener, which will again impact the mind and the body. So all these three have to be uh, looked upon. And the uh, advices are tailor-made depending on how the person's concept of voice is there. You know, what, what does he think about his voice? Yeah. What does he think about his speaking? What does he think about his uh, singing? So that works on the mind. Okay, so the moment you know uh, there's so much of uh, pre-performance anxiety, that is a part of voice conservation. You need to uh, you know, work on releasing that anxiety, providing them mm -hmm. strategies to overcome the anxiety. And because of the anxiety, there's an effect on the body. And so how can you overcome those effects on the body? And the environment is 
where is he staging the performance? What is happening? Mm -hmm. How comfortable is he with the systems uh, around him? What control he has and what controls or what variables he has no control on. So being aware of all these different processes, in a way, to learning to manage these to suit the person's uh, imagination, which is the mind, the mm -hmm. um, body, the system's uh, functioning, and the requirement and that is voice conservation basically so so you you there is no generic ways of telling you know there are fundamental things which everybody uh, are, which is available in the textbooks you drink water avoid um, food substances which may trigger letting of pharyngeal reflux so all of these are part of the voice conservation program but the way you have to look at it is trying to look at mind, body, and the environment and create a sort of a balance of these three to provide the voice user. And that's the way to conserve voice. I like how you mentioned that, how it's all the systems that are involved and we need to integrate all of those in order to produce a good, good voice. That brings me to a question that I was just pondering upon while we were discussing. As a singer or a professional voice user, how do I know that the pitch or the pitch range I'm using is right for me? So it's a very common question which I've been uh, asked in several forums. You know, how do you set a pitch for a singing voice? How do you do it? So my simple thing, it's a very difficult uh, question to answer. So it's a very tricky thing to say this is the best pitch for a person. By my generic way to look at it, the way which I go about is the feel-good factor, you know, the vocal health. So when you are singing, singing comes naturally to people and, and that is developed with guidance from uh, um, the gurus and the music trainers and voice coaches and sometimes the speech pathologists also. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's a natural uh, thing. So some people are gifted the way they can speak. Some people know how to use the voice for artistic purposes like singing or drama or maybe a broadcaster. So, so each one of them have their own natural um, uh, inclination, liking and an ability. And that is further polished or shaped with professional guidance and inputs. So uh, to precisely to answer, how do you know that this is the right pitch? So one is generic uh, things you know um, a male voice female voice uh, expected pitch range the melody and all those things your evaluation which is available in all the textbooks which we do apart from that what i personally feel is i talk again to the person and say do you feel happy and good when you have produced the sound does it feel it is nice and then uh, many times you know uh, it, it's very uh, important to clarify what you are imagining and what you are actually producing. So, so it's important to clarify the difference between the individualistic perception, their own self-percept versus what the others perceive of the voice. So, so when you talk, so first component is to estimate what they are thinking. And second is to relate what you have observed. And so when these two are matched, then you really know whether the person is able to produce. Uh, so one is the feel-good factor. Second is voice fatigue. Uh, if you are not using a pitch which is appropriate to you, definitely voice will fatigue, you will tire. There may be changes in the voice quality after the performance. Uh, 
So these are some of the indicators to identify that the voice user is using an appropriate pitch for the body. So Dr. Bhuminathan, okay. would I be right if I stress the importance of getting patient's perception and patient's own evaluation of their voice during our clinical evaluation as well? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Without they telling you what they feel and what's going on in them, your evaluation is never complete. So subjective uh, understanding of the producer and the produced voice is very, mm -hmm. very vital for both your assessment and your therapy. Okay, that makes perfect sense. So Dr. Bhuminathan, working with professional voice users is such a niche subject, such a niche community. And as a student clinician or a practicing clinician who wants to enter this subspecialty of speech language pathology, can you give them some advice? How should they proceed? Is there something that they should begin incorporating in their therapy based on evidence-based practice? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, again, it's a evolving field. Our field uh, has been in existence nearly okay, half yeah. century, but uh, voice as a subspecialty is evolving now. So I would think probably in the last uh, 10, 15 years, a lot of people have started looking at uh, subspecialization and understanding voice. And, and it's a very enterprising uh, subspecialty uh, within speech pathology. It's a good thing, good trend to look at uh, specializing on specific uh, aspects of speech pathology and mm -hmm. uh, developing skills to cater to certain population which may need more than generic information. That's In fact, right. um, um, I would think nearly, um, I may think around say one fourth of the working population will definitely depend only on their voice. Mm -hmm. Around two third of the wo working population may rely on their voice, uh, if not predominantly, but will require voice. There may be only one third of the working community where voice of any kind is still okay. So, so I would think nearly two third of the general population who is working um, will uh, require some sort of help from a speech pathologist, definitely pertaining mm -hmm. to voice care. So, so it's a very promising field and um, a lot of work is happening around the world um, in different uh, aspects of voice science and uh, voice pathology. So it is important for people to read these, understand, and then get into uh, dealing with specific populations. Uh, as a generalized, uh, generic advice, which you said, you know, for a beginner, I would want you to, um, if there is a possibility to start shadowing somebody in the clinic, that may be a good idea for you to learn the philosophies. Second thing is uh, networking in voice is very important when you're dealing with uh, specific uh, voice uh, related activities. Your understanding of your other uh, professionals who may be involved with your client is very important. So you should understand certain aspects of laryngology. So working with an ENT doctor may be a good idea for you to understand how he looks at the voice producing organ. Uh, working with a musician may be a good idea because they will know certain aspects which uh, is important for a speech pathologist to imbibe and learn. Um, working with psychologists um, mm -hmm. is again a great idea. 
so so know your professional mates and see if there are uh, practices which they follow we don't we, we needn't use all of them but um, learning how they work with client which is common to all of us is important so that uh, we will be able to provide the right sort of advice and management tips to the singer um, i always believe uh, you needn't be a mechanic to drive a car okay so you only need to learn how to drive or uh, you can hire a driver to what <laughs> so 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 uh, it is important for us to understand that um, if, if you are a singer yourself great but if you are not having any singing background but you have also very little limited music knowledge then again working with the singing community may be difficult so at least i think i would encourage people to take some courses to understand music and uh, how uh, music is uh, produced and uh, how people engage uh, with their singing capacity and so it is important for people to realize so these three are fundamental there is so much of science and understanding it's not imagination so that is an important thing so as speech pathologists many times we we forget the trade off and and when you're talking uh, in the air a patient never buys you but if you talk science they will they will so it's important and as speech pathologist we've always looked at uh, evidence and empirical evidence we want everything black and white so th there's a huge deal of uh, personal understanding of how this works the mm -hmm. intuition really makes a big difference but, the, but that has to be rationalized through discussion all right nice. i like how you say yeah. that but we need yeah. to rationalize our intuition then you will strike a balance of what you can offer to what the patient may need that's important yeah that's that's very well said thank you yeah don't give them generic advices don't say you stop doing this you do that you do that doesn't really work you need to find uh, how to modify an advice and suit it to a particular person so offering individualized um advices and therapy goals and therapy strategies really works Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sure that our listeners really appreciate it. And as clinicians, Rabab and I appreciate it also. Yeah. For a professional mm. voice users therapy. What does the maintenance schedule look like? Would you recommend that they do these exercises every day for a year, two years? So uh, it's like uh, going to gym. So uh, how long would you want to feel healthy and fit? and what does a healthy and fit change the idea of healthiness and fitness change over time to you so the same thing will apply for a singer so it's like you know when you are in your um, college so healthiness and fitness is probably exterior maybe i I'm, i'm just making a generic statement but i'm I, i'm sure the idea of uh, physical fitness and health varies as a person grows older same thing will apply for uh, a singer too his or her abilities to produce sound varies and the, the expectations on the voice also varies so if a person is cognizant about these changes these biological changes which happens in the body accordingly the exercises can be modified and provided to the person so maintenance is actually uh, by by virtue of their profession they learn to maintain they mm -hmm. they all do 
even the uh, the refined uh, super singer high class the, the most elite sophisticated singer uh, popular singer also practices they never give up their practice so it is exactly like a, a sportsman or a, uh, an actor who works on a fitness regime you know they they never compromise their regular duties of exercise in a day the same thing will apply to the singer uh, only thing what we might be how we may be involved is it's not a one time activity so you you are providing a support for an immediate problem and the problem will recur in a different way after some time because they are in constant use and the body is changing so the skill of the speech pathologist is to identify how this is changed what is the transformation and how is this impacting the current level of performance so if you are able to connect that then you will know how to solve the problem so maintenance is a lifelong thing as long as they want to be in singing mm -hmm. yes that i really like the example you gave about it's like going to the gym if you need to be fit i can't i can't be like okay i'm going to work out for one month in the year and then i'm going to be fit throughout the year i i wish it happened that way but <laughs> I, i don't think yeah, it does but the thing is you know people who regularly hit the gym mm -hmm. uh, feel happy to hit the gym every time that's right so so somebody somebody who started working with you for singing lessons or singing mm -hmm. practice will stay in touch with you as long as they feel that this is important advice so it will go that's on it'll be hmm. there yes that that's a great thing to point out that makes absolute sense um dr bhuminathan you must have seen so many patients but uh what is the main chief complaint you usually get when a patient comes through your door are you asking a singing client or a general uh... um a singing client please okay so the first important thing which they come is i feel tired after performing tiredness hmm. is one of the major symptoms um i want to produce a voice a particular in a particular register or in a particular tone but that doesn't reach there i feel um my voice is not moving freely the flexibility is lost okay but uh, interestingly many times the flexibility is first understood by the performer the producer and is never understood never heard or audible by the listener the listeners may not listeners may still feel everything is okay but uh, they would know the strain they put to reach a particular uh, you know sustenance um, so there there could be uh, issues like uh, a concert is 2 hours or 2 and a half hours and i really feel at the end of the concert i feel my voice isn't how i started some people have uh, starting issues they have difficulty uh, warming up the voice and it takes almost like half hour or 45 minutes to settle into a voice and once the voice opens the time is already out so they have such so these are some of the problems they have mm -hmm. most of it are functional uh, very rarely uh, you know many of them resort to uh, their own ways of dealing with voice problems so that is another important thing we should acknowledge Mm -hmm. uh, we call that party vaidyam uh, home based remedies so there there have been lot of apprehension in seeking advice at the right time over right. years those apprehensions are reducing and i think we have a great deal to do those uh, awareness and sensitization program about vocal health where we talk about uh, you know it's important to 
stay healthy than to repair an unhealthy organ so so that's sort of a thing so so when they come they if they are very clear with these uh, issues and fixing the problem is much easier mm-hmm. but um, many of them don't come at the uh, right moment which you would have expected they mm-hmm. come later so those are uh, more difficult to deal with also so delaying is also a problem so one of the complaints which uh, i have said is uh because of these delays what happens is they develop a lot of compensatory strategies which are very difficult to undo so yes. those are other issues mm-hmm. as a therapist who is working with voice patients uh from their perspective i'm asking this question would the therapy regime include an eclectic approach with use of resonance voice therapy techniques like the stretch and flow phonation techniques or is there something totally different that we are using for professional voice users so to me eclectic approach means um, using several philosophies okay so there have been several great um, scientists world over have who have evolved different ways of dealing with problems i would think um until the uh, 90s i would say most of the things were uh, bones philosophies of symptomatic voice therapy behavior therapy uh, after the 90s uh, where the uh, holistic philosophies came their system the physiological voice therapies became more popular where they started looking at uh, systems and they they imbibed several things from um, music theater uh, training and music training and understanding the plus there's also another uh, lot of group of uh, work happening in alternative and complementary medicine thinking about spirituality thinking about uh, yoga diet cookbook recipes are provided now for voice care and maintenance such things are also so it's 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 a philosophy so eclectic in the sense to me i would think when you're combining different philosophies then it becomes eclectic than really combining techniques i would again think it is a very individualistic way to deal with i wouldn't necessarily like to be an eclectic person i would like believe that certain philosophies work better than other ways or you are more skillful in handling certain philosophies certain ways of working with the voice as i told you i would like to think of the person his body and the mind so this this is what you need to look at okay that that was great advice think about the person his body and his mind um as an holistic approach and that makes therapy in my opinion way more efficient as well dr bhuminathan thank you for your time today and being on air to discuss such a vital topic as a professional voice user it is so important to have the right knowledge in conserving voice and taking care of one's vocal health we are excited to share this information with our listeners and we thank you for coming on our show thank you um, very much um thank you dr bhuminathan and to our listeners and i would also like to thank you for sharing your vocal care recipe especially providing all the new evidence based practice and what's going on in the field 
I hope after listening to this episode, we are a little more on par with what's happening with the latest trends. Thank you so much. Yes. And, and not providing so vocal rest to everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. important. If not anything, the take home is yes. as speech pathologists, <laughs> mm-hmm. don't provide people to rest their voice, but provide skills of how to use the voice. Mm-hmm. Yes, That's that will right. be really a great thing to do and work with the people who need your help. Okay, thank you so much. It was so lovely to talk to both of you, Rabab and Kenry. And thanks so much for this opportunity. Thanks for joining us today. And we are so grateful for all the support we've received and can't wait to see where this podcast goes. Thank you. See you soon.